Almighty God, we're so grateful. We're grateful that on the day of Pentecost, you sent your comforter. That Lord, your Holy Spirit is active in our lives now as it was on this first Pentecost Sunday. And Lord, we, we are grateful that where we are unable, that Lord, where we are weak, that is where you can show your glory most powerfully in us. And so, Lord, we come to you as people who are so often frail and broken and imperfect, knowing that it is by the fire of your love that we are purified and presented to the Father. Pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I grew up the youngest of seven children, and I was the youngest by a, a large margin. My oldest brother, uh, Michael, is 20 years older than me, and the next youngest, eight years my senior. So I, I spent my whole childhood trying to be older, to be part of the gang, to grow up quickly. And every so often, my whole family would get together, and I would have to go to bed when everyone else got to stay up and hang out. It was the worst. But when my brothers came, they would always bring guitars and inevitably would sing the blues. I remember hearing them at night from my bedroom, the muffled voices and music vibrating up through the floorboards. But eventually I was allowed to stay when I got older and I was able to join in and it, it was a spectacle. My brother Michael would jam out a blues progression and Ryan would often play along and start singing, but he would just make random verses up that rhymed right on the fly. The music was repetitive, but it was also new, it was novel. And this, I think, is a key to all different kinds of great music. It's about theme and variation. Think of Beethoven's fifth. Four notes, bum, 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 bum. And that sets the theme. And the whole symphony follows those notes in a spectacular array of variations. And the blues, the blues is no different. What makes it so evocative is not just that it's spontaneous, but that its spontaneity springs up from an underlying theme that maintains the unity of the piece, the song. It's moving because it feels alive, both congruous and organic. So my family would sit in a circle and would take turns making up verses to this song, these blues songs, the most absurd and ridiculous things, and also so creative. And I just sat there and watched inspiration in each of my brothers and sisters or uncles, watching that sort of creativity. It's almost magical, isn't it? How do people come up with that kind of stuff? And, and everyone takes turns and the music turns to me. And I have to ask myself, do I have the guts to sing? Will I be inspired like all of the rest of my family when my turn comes? Inspiration. It literally means to be breathed into, to have the spirit fill you. And when this inspiration arrives, beautiful things materialize that seemed impossible before. Today is the day of inspiration. It's Pentecost Sunday, the birthday of the church. Our reading from Acts chapter 2 tells a story. But to hear the story, to hear the song correctly, you have to know the theme. You have to know the rhythm and the melody of this song that was started to be sung in Genesis chapter 1. This event is the crescendo, not the overture. 
here are a few verses that might jog your memory to help you know and remember that melody. It starts formless and deep, the dark covering the surface of the abyss. And the Spirit of God hovers over that surface like a mother hen covering eggs with her wings. This word is spoken. Light and life erupt onto the scene. And God took the fertile soil, Adamah in Hebrew, and he formed Adam. And the Lord breathes Ruach, life, wind, and spirit into him. And he was a living image of God. And when that image was marred almost beyond recognition, the wind blows through battle, and their plans for world domination and violence are subverted, scattered across the world in every language. The Spirit of God comes and lives in Joseph, even when he's locked away in Pharaoh's prison. He interprets dreams, and the inspiration gives him favor and a place of honor, and helps the Lord save the lives of many during a famine. And after the people had become slaves in Egypt, the Spirit of God makes the burning bush blaze, burning but not consumed. The wind blows Moses back to Egypt, and the wind makes the Red Sea pile up and part to deliver his people. The wind billowed fiery clouds in the wilderness, blazing a path to the promised land. Thunder shook the mountain. Wind and fire anointed its top when the Lord carved Israel out of the nations as his own people and gave them the law. The Spirit filled the craftsmen and the artists who began to carve and form the tabernacle, a place where God and humanity could come together. The Spirit of God filled Joshua, and he had divine wisdom. He led them through the Jordan to the promised land. And when The horn of oil anointed David, the little shepherd boy, in the midst of all his bigger, stronger, older brothers. The Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. The Spirit of the Lord falls on Elisha, and he heals, and he raises the dead. And when he was in distress, he meets the Lord on the mountain, wrapped in wind that breaks the rocks. And when he is taken up to heaven in a flaming chariot, a double portion of the Spirit falls on Elisha. When the people are carried off into exile, the Spirit rests on Daniel and makes him discerning, looking forward to the Son of Man. When Daniel and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah speak and write, the Spirit of the Lord is upon them. And they call people back to faithfulness. Call them to look for the day of the Lord. Can you hear the rhythm? Can you hear the rhyme? Can you hear the theme and the variation of what God is doing? The Spirit comes. The Lord moves. Even from Elizabeth's womb, John was filled with the Holy Spirit, making straight the path for the one who was coming. And when Jesus, the one true Son of God, comes, the Spirit lives and moves in him as one. The Spirit drives him into the desert to overcome temptation. And the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to proclaim good news to the poor, release to the captives, sight to the blind, 
and liberty to the oppressed. When Christ descends to the dead, as the creed puts it, the Spirit raises him back up. A Spirit that he promises will come to be the comforter of the disciples just before he ascends. And the Lord promises that he would give them that Spirit and make them able to proclaim the gospel to all the world. But when we find the disciples in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, they they're holed up in an upper room, a little conclave of people just waiting, praying and waiting, apparently not able to do much of anything quite yet. Can you hear the song building? Can you hear what is about to come next? The Spirit descends, fire and wind, the divine Ruach, the Holy Spirit himself. They call this the birthday of the church because it is the moment when the church begins. But think about that image for a moment. When a baby is born, what is the first thing that a baby does? For the child's whole life up to that point, she has been getting oxygen from her mother. But when they are born, they breathe air for the first time. A baby cries, likely because of the whole traumatic ordeal. She has lungs burning from this initial inspiration. And here, On Pentecost, the church is likewise born. Here, this first Pentecost, the church takes its first breath. The Holy Spirit fills her lungs. And Peter, once scared, once confused, once ashamed of Jesus, stands up enlivened and proclaims the gospel in words heard in every language present. God, God is doing a new thing here. But God is doing a new thing that rhymes with all of the things that come before it, that echoes all that comes before this moment of Pentecost. God is making this people of Israel a blessing to all nations. God is undoing Babel, not for the sake of building a tower to dominate the world, but to build a body that would witness to the Spirit in them, the hope of glory. Here, all the nations hear that the hope of Israel is the hope of all. That the God of Israel is the God of all. The one in whom all restless desires can finally find their rest. The whole story builds toward this epic moment. But this is also not a safe song. It is not a song that we sit back and listen to passively, sealed off against involvement in it. Far from it. Paul tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, lives in me, lives in us. The Holy Spirit is not some fringe concern of charismatics or left behind in Bible times. It's the Lord himself in our lives. The song has been sung theme and variation, but now it is our turn to sing, our turn to be inspired. When I tried to sing out a stanza of the blues, it was not always pretty, but the rhythm carried me. And opening my lungs and my mouth, I found words and a voice that were new to me. Trust me, no Grammys were won, but abundant life was lived. The inspiration is not just about spiritual stuff either. It's not just about things that are happening on our inside any more than oxygen is something that only matters on our insides. No, 
The oxygen in our lungs gives life to our whole body. It is the life in the lifeblood. So also the Spirit makes us more, most fully alive to the world, physical and spiritual. It is the Spirit that makes new things, difficult things, daunting things possible through us, the church. That does not limit itself to something supernatural either. The Holy Spirit asks us to do the hard things every day in our life with hope, new hope. And we are a people that need, now in particular, inspiration. We are alienated from one another. Many throughout our country have lost faith in the institutions which facilitate our common and civic life. There is distrust and contention and violence, not for the first time and not for the last. New creation seems about as likely as it did in the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37. Lord, can these bones really live? Yes, they can. The resurrection of Jesus, the coming of the Spirit, assures us that these bones will live. So what does it mean for us to learn how to sing here and now? What does it mean to breathe deeply of the Spirit within you and allow for it to move? Well, here are a few suggestions. One, whatever you are doing, you are not alone. Know that the Holy Spirit lives in you and is available to you as wisdom, as strength, and love. Sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit as an invisible amorphous force, like, well, the wind. And that imagery can limit the way that we, as Christians, imagine the person of the Holy Spirit. We call the Holy Spirit a person because we recognize his activity not in some broad, impersonal way, like gravity or the breeze, but rather as an actor with will and intellect and identity in relation to us. God is not an impersonal force. He is an ever-present Lord. Why does that matter? It matters that even as we know the Lord as the breath in our lungs, we also recognize him as our shepherd. A shepherd who will never leave us nor forsake us in every mundane moment of our lives. If you are a parent with a child that throws terrible constant tantrums, in your moment of need, remember that the Spirit is in you. The Spirit is Lord. And in your moment of frustration, you can say, Lord, give me patience, give me inspiration. Bedtime can be pretty hard at my house. Getting Ivan into his pajamas can be a fight every night. He and Iris, the little one, would rather run around naked after bath, singing and playing games. The other night, I took a deep breath and the solution just appeared to me. I asked him to do jumping jacks with me, after which he had completely forgotten about the protest and happily put on his pajamas, an occurrence bordering, I assure you, on the miraculous. If you are a researcher struggling with data, invite the Lord into your work. Invite the Spirit into your imagination and labor. If you clean floors, the Lord sustains you in your work and can make yourself ever more real to you with every swipe of the mop. If you are a teacher struggling to learn how to exist on Zoom, breathe for a moment and know that the Creator is the source of your creativity. He labors with you. And second, 
The spirit makes dead things live. I can tell you that today, I look out on the tumultuous streets of America at a video of a black man murdered by a police officer, and I have this sinking feeling of death. These are dry, dry bones. And at the heart of this song, a rhythm that repeats over and over again is that where the spirit is, hope lives. And I do not mean a cheap hope that shuffles the problems under the rug or simply makes everything better all at once. The crucifixion of Jesus goes hand in hand with the resurrection. But whenever the spirit is present, new life is possible. Creative solutions are possible. Healing is possible. Reconciliation is hard, but possible. On my street in Kigali at the top of the hill was a little steel-roofed structure with a concrete floor and no walls. It was one of hundreds just like it across the country, a genocide memorial, right in the middle of a thriving housing development, a mass grave for the bodies of the Tutsis hunted and killed in 1994. In the space of a hundred days, almost a million people were killed in Rwanda. If ever there was a hopeless place, it was Rwanda in 1994. And while far, far, far from perfect today, Rwanda is a place where people can imagine a new and different life for themselves, their country, their children. It has become a rising star in Africa because of a focus on reconciliation that is messy business but it is also our calling as a church to pursue as ambassadors of Jesus Christ in an unjust world. If there was hope for Rwanda, there is hope for us. Hope because Jesus is Lord. This Pentecost, ask yourselves, what places in your life have you written off for dead? A relationship with a parent, a colleague at work, a relationship in this very body, or maybe it's a fear, a fear so deeply calcified in your soul that you are afraid to bring it into the light of day. Perhaps a longing that you have never had the courage to pursue for fear of failing. Let the Holy Spirit shepherd your soul to make those things live. And we as a church in the city of Boston should hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice. We should see in the riots across America a wound, a deep, old wound that has never properly healed because it has never properly been dressed. But what can we do? What would the Spirit move us to do to address that kind of injustice? What does the Spirit ask this body to do this morning? Here are a few suggestions. First, make friends with people who are radically different from you. It is what the Spirit tells Peter to do when he meets Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Do not underestimate the power of real, true friendships. Second, meet the physical needs of the poor in your neighborhood, in our neighborhood. Church of the Cross is making a $5,000 gift to the food bank at Boston Temple and will be actively pursuing ways to partner long-term. This is among the first things that happened in the church after Pentecost. They cared for the poor. Third, when you feel overwhelmed by the enormity of this problem, focus on what God puts right in front of you. 
yes, you live in the United States, but you live in the city of Boston. And not just in the city of Boston, you live in the neighborhood of the city of Boston. Start your work on your block. Four. Commit yourself to speak up and act when you see injustice. If you were on the street when George Floyd was murdered, would you have spoken up? Would you have begged the police to stop? Would you have taken out your phone and filmed it? Would you have put your body between them and his? Friends, pray for the peace of this city, for this place, for our place. Breathe deeply and sing. Do not continue to live in the upper room, but go out like Peter and feel the wind in your lungs. Because where we are unable, the Spirit, God himself, makes us able. Pray with me. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, when those disciples were in that upper room, they needed you. They needed you to make them able. And Lord, this morning, as your people, frail and broken people, we need you. We need you to make us able. Able to love our neighbor as ourselves. Able to see and have wisdom. Able to hear each other, to see each other, to know each other. Lord, give us your strength to pursue mercy and justice in the city of Boston. And Lord, give us each ways in our own neighborhood and on our own street to show your love of all people this week and always. I pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.